Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. Greetings, true believers, and welcome to another episode of the Middle Seeds Podcast. I'm your heroic host tonight, Mr. Andrew Ojay. Let's meet my Avengers-like team of co-hosts. Tooting his own horn already. Uh, we'll get to you in a minute. <laughs> he swings into any situation and makes you want to kiss him upside down, Mr. Nate Longarini. <laughs> How are we doing, everybody? <laughs> That's a fact. Yeah. It Come in, save the day. He's too <laughs> modest. His favorite Spider-Man villain is Paul Giamatti as the Rhino, Mr. Jay Kensler. <laughs> you know, he really just didn't get enough screen time. He could have been great. Uh, yes. I should make you watch his scenes on a loop if you're going to <laughs> fight in his corner. That's a dangerous superpower. It is a dangerous superpower. It's a super villain power, I would say, more than anything. But anyway, the Middle Seats Podcast is the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. If you are just joining us for the first time, welcome. Here's how the show typically works. We divide things into three segments. Our first segment is called Lobby Talk, where we kind of just go back and forth on a topic that a member of the crew has picked. This week is Nate's week, and he will get into his topic in just a few minutes when I stop talking. After Lobby Talk, we get into the biggest news of the week. Kind of a light week for news this week, but we have a couple of stories that we want to discuss. And then we transition into our main review, and this is an exciting one, guys. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the new animated adventure from Sony. We'll have a big talk about it coming up. But before we can get to that, let's move into lobby talk. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? I will blow up the block before you can make the lobby. Alrighty, gentlemen. So, as Drew mentioned, we're going to be reviewing Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And we'll get into whether we thought the movie was good or not in a little bit. But at least on premise alone, it almost feels like the producers said, let's just throw it all together and see what happens. And that got the old noggin going. Exploring all these weird different genre takes on Spider-Man. And I thought, what other Hollywood movies could benefit or just go completely off the rails if you added Spider-Man to the mix. A lot of potential here. I ex expect we'll get some pretty unique answers. So let's swing it over to Jake to start us off. All right. Um, so disclaimer, I'm very excited to talk about this. Nate basically pitched it to us like 40 minutes ago and was like, go. And obviously there's limitless possibilities. And this is one of the first times we all actively did not discuss our picks for Lobby Talk whatsoever. It's more fun that way usually anyway. Yeah, Yeah, it is. It is. But like we really, all of us were like, yeah, we're just not going to tell each other there's a billion movies. So I came up with something a little ridiculous. And technically I'm going to talk about spoilers, but this is a rare time where I just do not care because these movies don't even warrant a spoiler warning, whatever. Um, so mine is what if Spider-Man were specifically in Fifty Shades Darker? Now, oh, Jesus. Oh, no. <laughs> now, I know. I, already see this. I don't even know if I want to hear this, to be honest. No, 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 no. So, so, Nate, I know you haven't seen any of them, and God bless you. By choice. Right, yes, God bless you. Andrew and I had to review the first one back in college. Because we hate ourselves. Right. Um, so, anyway, mine is not about kinky tie-up spiderweb sex. It's not at all. I'm going to have Spider-Man save this movie. So, if Spider-Man is in Fifty Shades Darker, he can stop two major events from happening. I'm, I feel like Patton Oswalt from Parks and Rec. <laughs> so the first one is the only great scene in the movie, that helicopter crash, because it makes no sense. If Spider-Man is involved, and specifically with Christian Grey, a billionaire, say he's, you know, a bodyguard of sorts, Christian Grey can pay him a little bit. He can save that helicopter crash, which means the near-death experience doesn't alter Christian Grey's mind, which means he doesn't have that sudden epiphany of, oh my God, I need Anastasia in my life trying to go about this marriage that the audience falls for that we all know deep down is ridiculous. So he goes about his business trip. Problem one solved. And number two is Anastasia's boss. I think his name is Jack. Oh, I just yes. looked it up and I still don't remember. Yes, um, we, we yeah. can put boss in quotations. 
Right. <laughs> Whatever he is in relation to the movie. She turns him down. He gets really butthurt over it and decides that he's going to try and kill people or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's, again, ridiculous. He's hiding in the bushes at the end and, like, burns a picture of the two of them because that's what happens when you get turned down, I guess. Sure. If Spider-Man's also a bodyguard, he can just web him up and then problem solved. So what happens <laughs> is the helicopter crash and Jack threatening Anastasia are two major events that makes Christian realize he needs this woman in his life. If neither happen, he doesn't need Anastasia in his life. Therefore, we can save ourselves the trouble from watching these movies and Spider-Man saves the day again. <laughs> I like how the addition of Spider-Man is the least out there thing in that entire premise. As right. has not seen these movies. <laughs> I, no, yeah, it's, he actually makes it more realistic and saves millions and millions of people's eyes and brains. I, I, I'm floored how you got to this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I heard Fifty Shades of Grey, Spider-Man, and I think both of us immediately had our minds in the gutter, right, Drew? Right. <laughs> yeah, I, and I, I said no. You could have done the same thing but not with Fifty Shades of Grey. You could have picked, like, a Dwayne The Rock Johnson movie. But no, you went to this. <laughs> well, Jake, let me challenge you that helicopter crashes in the middle of the woods. So what is he swinging on to save people? Trees, <laughs> I guess. I, sure. We don't okay. even know. We don't know how the crash happened in the first place. They don't explain it. It just is a random crash. They never explain so, it. If you're going to go with that, you're going to go with this. <laughs> it's It's one of those jarring moments of editing I've ever seen. They cut midway into the crash, and it's, like, happening in progress. <laughs> and then he just appears, and everything's fine, never talked about again. <laughs> <laughs> so Spider-Man can save that, and he can get rid of uh, Anastasia's boss, and then they don't have those altering moments, and they both go about their lives and actually stay out of this ridiculous relationship and save our brain cells. Right. Well, I mean, we already had our kinky Spider-Man in Spider-Man 3 with Black Suit Spidey. So right, yeah, we don't, we don't need one. another one with Christian Grey's ropes and... Stuff. And stuff, yes. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was very excited to talk about this because the only thing I knew, I don't know anything about Nate's, and Andrew said, I'm not sure if mine makes sense, but I'm going to go with it, and I said, same. Well, let's hear it, Drew. What do you got? <laughs> uh, mine is not as crazy as that. <laughs> One, I picked the Tom Holland version. Like, it's hard to specify which Spider-Man you mean, but for me, it's important that it's the Tom Holland version because... Spider-Man Homecoming is very much like, it's got like an 80s movie vibe to it. So I think it would be cool for Spider-Man to be in a movie like Back to the Future. Like he goes back in time and he's a character. He helps out Marty McFly do his thing. Even Back to the Future Part 2 would be pretty cool to see him like swinging along Marty as he's like flying on the hoverboard or whatever it is. The thing that they said would be created by now but hasn't actually been created by now. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be that far-fetched of a fit I think is the big thing. He fits the tone. Easy. Exactly. He fits the tone and he fits like the over-the-top outlandish nature of the movie too. I, I think that would be pretty cool to see him like interacting or even just like some kind of time travel story. It doesn't necessarily have to be Back to the Future, but sending Spidey through time would be interesting. And what about Biff's mouth? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> he would put Biff in his place. Like he's dealt with Flash Thompson all these years. Yeah, you're right. He, he would fit in well and his like his quirky, witty humor would fit in well. I'm sure him and Marty would have some good banter. Oh, my God, yeah. Right, exactly. I feel like Michael J. Fox's performance is very similar to Tom Holland's performance in that movie. And um, and him and Doc Brown could science out, nerd out. That's what I that's was true. thinking. I didn't even think of that, yeah. No, Doc Brown and Spidey would have a ball. <laughs> right. Yeah, that could be fun. Would he, like, influence Doc Brown to become the supervillain that he's always been born to play? Because he's a disgraced <laughs> nuclear physicist, and he hangs out with children. And I feel like that's a setup for something <laughs> awful. Oh, Doc Ock origin story at the end of part uh, three. Dun, dun, yeah. dun. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. Now you're thinking in franchise terms. <laughs> We're on to some, some Hollywood stuff here. We should trademark this. Yeah. But anyway, that's my pick. Love it. All right. That just leaves me. And taking a little inspiration from the movie we're going to be reviewing, part of the fun is taking our idea of Spider-Man and just putting it in a completely new genre of movie. And my mind immediately went to fantasy movies. Like, I want to see Spider-Man in a suit of armor going at it. <laughs> and I think there's no better candidate to make a movie better with the addition of a Spider-Man than Clash of the Titans. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Picture this. Liam Neeson saying, release the Kraken. And instead of 
like this weird aerial fight with a Pegasus, you have Spider-Man swinging from tentacle to tentacle with a sword in hand. Ah, <laughs> there it is. I was like, where's he going? Mm. Got it. I think it could be the right amount of cheese, camp, and just fun nerd out fantasy with and then the ultimate <laughs> the ultimate showdown is spidey versus a god yeah i don't know if you can't top that i guess <laughs> yeah i mean literally have him fight hades zeus poseidon whatever you want to do right i feel like you could even keep the origin story relatively the same too instead of a radioactive spider it's a god in spider form right. <laughs> you know yeah like how zeus turned into squirrels <laughs> uh, yes remembering that clash of the titans movie vaguely I've seen that and the original version back from the 70s. Um, the standouts of those movies is when Perseus has to deal with uh, Medusa because he has to find a creative way to defeat her. And I feel like Spider-Man versus Medusa would be a fascinating matchup. Oh, that would like be even cool. going on the lower scale of the Kraken. Yeah. Well, the main thing about Medusa is you can't look at her, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Or else you turn to stone. And she's got those tentacles for hair. Snakes. Or, or snakes, snakes for hair. hair. Excuse me. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, I think very interesting, uh, very interesting topic. And I feel like maybe people are listening at home and they're like, oh, how did you not pick this movie? Well, speak up then. Uh, or or what are you guys talking about? Right, exactly. <laughs> or, <laughs> which one would you go see in theaters? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, what are you guys on? <laughs> but anyway, let us know what you're thinking. Email us, comment below. We would love to hear your feedback on that. From a strange idea to probably even a stranger idea. That's my pivot into our news segment. And this just in, a news break special report. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. So guys, recently we did a recording where we talked about our most anticipated movies of 2019. And I'm disappointed in all of us. I don't think I'm mad, I'm just disappointed that none of us had the live action adaptation of Dora the Explorer on that list. Well, now let's see if I can change your mind, gentlemen, because a Academy Award dominated and winning actor has joined the cast. Benicio Del Toro. He's been doing some good stuff recently. Of course, Sicario. He's like phenomenal. In. Yeah, he's excellent in the first Sicario. He's so good in that. One. Of course, Guardians of the Galaxy. He's great in, depending on who you ask in the room. Star Wars The Last Jedi. He's pretty good in doing some great stuff. He's been doing great stuff pretty much throughout his whole career. But now... He gets to play one of the most famous kleptomaniacs of all time, Swiper the Fox. Yes, he's been cast in the movie as Swiper the Fox. I don't know what the format will be. I'm assuming it's not him in makeup. Uh, I'm assuming it's kind of like a Jungle Bookish. <laughs> Jungle it's Book a live action with Benicio del Toro as a fox. <laughs> Just with him with a little like Halloween mask. Please. Isn't that a great image? <laughs> Please, oh, for no. the love of God, let me see that. If anybody is listening right now and they're a graphic designer, I think we would we would pay to see that fan art. Yeah. I'm just curious. Isabella Monet plays Dora. She was in Transformers 5. This movie is produced by Michael Bay, by the way. It does not – not directed by him, but he has a hand in it. Um, she was most recently in Instant Family. So she plays Dora. The cast – there's some, actually some pretty decent-sized names in the cast. Eugenio Derbez, Michael Pena, Eva Longoria, they're all in it. Oh, wow. Ostensibly probably playing – the family, I would think of Dora. Uh, the film is directed by James Bobbin, who has a special place in my heart because he made The Muppets, but he also made Alistair the Looking Glass, so take that for what it's will. It is co-written by Nicholas Stoller. He's interesting because he's done some animated stuff, but he's best known for, like, Neighbors and for getting Sarah Marshall and directing those movies. So he brings, he'll bring an edge to the script, I'm sure. Uh, the movie comes out on August 2nd, 2019. This concept has been thrown around for a while. Dora was probably at its most popular when we were growing up. Of course, we're manly men, so I only watched it three times a week as opposed to seven times a week. <laughs> but, you know, not past its prime, I guess, because clearly somebody still wants to see it. But what do you think of the Benicio news, and what do you think of the concept in general? Because there's a lot to hash out about it, because Dora, as a show, doesn't have the most meat on its bones. Uh, Nate, what do you think of this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can't help... But picture this movie as as any more than a meme. I'm gonna be honest. Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, <laughs> like college humor back in the day did some sketches of like what a PG-13 rated live action Dora the Explorer would be like, and they're pretty funny. <laughs> I remember those. Yeah. Any anything you do with this, 
<laughs> it just feels like a step downward in a way. <laughs> but for Benicio to be, and yes, I'm on a first name basis apparently. Um, for, for, <laughs> BDT. <laughs> uh, for Del Toro to be on this uh, project, I don't know. I feel like he's just in on the meme. Yeah. It's obviously way beneath him as an actor, unless he really just wants to have some fun. And yeah. every actor is entitled to do that if he really wants to. Um, I really don't know what else to say. Yeah, like I'm. <laughs> it is very. It's, it's so yeah. weird. It's such a weird movie. But then again, like so does Detective Pikachu. Well, I think I think Detective Pikachu. I think that's more in demand. I don't think that's past its prime. And I think there's a lot more they can do with it. You're kind of right, Andrew. Like, there's how much are they gonna gonna do with this? Like, you got to fill 90 minutes. So like, like you could. What are you gonna do? Is it live action? Is it Dora live action with like cartoons around her? Like Mary Poppins a little bit? Like what are they? I can't even picture this movie, nor do I really want to. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm pretty mad already that we're going to have to review this. But as <laughs> as far as, like, casting goes, they do have good casting. Del Toro's pretty much a good choice no matter what you, you know, are filming. He's a great actor. Start, um, from top to bottom, he's a great actor. And so for as far as Swiper goes, yeah, another great choice. I barely can take this conversation seriously. <laughs> like, you're, like, trying to make points and stuff. But, like, I'm just picturing... Benicio del Toro's agent going up to him and telling him that he's going to do this. <laughs> and he gives like, him the Can you imagine face. the poor soul that had to go up to Alejandro and be like, "Yeah, you're going to play a fox that steals things, but is not really good at it. Like, has never actually stolen anything. The only time he ever gets anything is when Dora pities him and gives him something." <laughs> Maybe del Toro has a, a daughter who likes this show. I mean, that's always possible. You know what will get me excited if they get um, Inuritu to direct. Ooh. Ooh. Can you imagine? So it's like the Revenant. That's not the big guns. Could you imagine? <laughs> so Swiper wins and he mauls Dora. And the rest <laughs> of the thing is her using the map to get back home so that she can get some medical attention. And it's just one long tracking shot. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I, I want to see that. That looks good. There we go. That sounds we, good. We finally found a, a vision for the movie. Michael Bay, take notes. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably more of a vision than they had. Like, the thing is, for me, is that, like, from what I remember about Dora is that, like, it, they were 15-minute episodes that did not have any story whatsoever. It was Dora, unsupervised, alone in the jungle with, like, <laughs> possibly rabid animals trying to get from one spot to the next, and you had to do half the work for her. So... <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 wait, wait, pause. Do you think this could be a fully interactive movie where the audience, like... Helps determine the ending. Oh, I really hope not. Oh, got like clue. <laughs> I want like mandatory audience participation. The movie doesn't continue unless you tell a swiper not to swipe, or else the credits are all. <laughs> now I'm picturing like critics like going for advanced screenings of this movie and screaming at the screen. <laughs> who, who, who plays Map in Backpack? Uh, Key and Peel. Uh, that's actually that's too obvious. Yeah, I want it to be like Werner Herzog and. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. We leave this conversation with more questions than answers, and I, hopefully they'll be answered in the next couple of months, but I don't think it's likely. Because, like, what we're actually going to get is probably boring. There's no way it's going to top what Nate just said, so... Right. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, anyway, we're moving on to something a little bit, I guess, more meaty and serious. Let's talk about Netflix. Because Netflix, of course, they dominate the world. They have completely changed their business model so now that they are involved in Oscar movies as well. They have some big budget stuff on tap. It's a completely different game for Netflix than it was five years ago. And that has some people in the movie industry scared that people are just going to stay home, Netflix and chill, and not come to the theater at any point whatsoever. New numbers are out right now that kind of seem to disprove that Netflix is killing movie theaters. A survey from Ernst & Young Quantitative Economics and Statistics Group, they surveyed 2,500 people last month. 80% of whom who have seen at least one movie in the past few years, and they were able to conclude that theaters are not in competition with streaming service as much as you may think. Now, movies like Beast of No Nation and this year Roma, uh, they're movies that went directly to streaming, and I guess people are worried that if they're watching it at home, they're not going to see it on a big screen. But according to the study, people who saw nine or more movies at movie theaters in the past year, which are people like us, and are people that are most likely to be watching Roma, if we were going to see it in the theaters. They spent an average of 11 hours per week watching streaming content compared to the seven average hour of streaming content consumed by people who only went to theaters once or twice a year. So really what the numbers are saying is that it's more of a, like... Versus. 
Yeah. It's like if you like movies and TV, you're going to keep going to movies. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. So, Jake, run with that. What do you think of these numbers? What The impact of Netflix on this whole thing, on like the whole movie game, do you buy it? Um, I'm kind of glad this study came out, and I'm not 100% surprised, to be honest, because not to knock friends outside of this podcast, but I have friends who have talked about how Netflix will eventually be the death of movie theaters. And I was like, if you look at the top box office movies, a lot of them are from like 2015, 2016, 2017. Like there's a lot of huge movies that break the box office like on a yearly basis. So I don't, I'm not a hundred percent surprised by this. Like movie theaters are not dying. Right. Anytime I want to see something that's not an indie, I have to look in advance. I mean, I'm on, on Long Island, which is crowded, but it's pretty rare for me to want to go see a blockbuster and just get a seat, no problem. So I'm glad this came out and I'm, I hope some people actually look to it because I find myself to be defending this argument a lot and nobody believing me. So I'm glad there's finally research. Yeah, and that's a very interesting point about the box office grosses because uh, another story we were flirting with talking about tonight is that 2018 is expected to set records across the board for grosses. Uh, and that's because of movies like Black Panther and Avengers Infinity War and Incredibles 2. Very authentic spectacles specifically on the big screens. Nate, what's your take on this? Oh, exactly. Like, we're seeing a lot of consolidation of movies in theaters where whatever big blockbuster is in theater is making a lot of money because everyone wants to go be part of that experience. So the experience of going to the movies and seeing whatever crazy feature is out on the biggest screen possible is not going away, especially with these big franchises that are spanning over years. People are invested in the blockbusters that they're seeing because a lot of them are part of big franchises or reviving old franchises, all part of the experience of just seeing it in the biggest, boldest way you possibly can. And then Netflix is there for when you want to binge and want to watch some indie movies or maybe refresh some old movies that you haven't seen in a long, long time. Right. So the experience of going to the movies is not dying. If anything, it's getting stronger because people are people are more attached in treating their trips to the movies like what used to be tuning in on a Friday night to watch whatever hit TV show was out. Right. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, yeah that's a really a good, good point. That's a good comparison. The, the thing that's the most interesting thing about these numbers to me is that it sets up what this whole discussion is about. And it's more, it's less about like Netflix versus movie theaters. It's more about like people just watching media versus not. Uh, because people like us don't really care. We're going to be watching no matter where we are. Right. It's more how do you get people excited about watching movies and TV, period. And not like Netflix mm -hmm. versus going out to the theater. Now, of course, prices play a part in that and stuff, and I understand that. But at the same time, there's not really that debate between Netflix and movie theaters. And I think one of the big things that to always remember is that people have been saying that the movie experience has been, like, dying for decades now. There's always a challenger. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's mm -hmm. the VCR came around, and that was the big challenger. And then the DVD was here, and then the Blu-ray player, and then we had streaming services. The television back in the 50s was a threat to the movie theater. And yet, 100 years later, it's still standing and still standing strong. Yeah, Black Panther made $700 million in the United States alone. Right. And it's on Netflix now, but people still went to see it. Right. And when it's getting re-released, people are going back to the theater to see it because there's nothing that can replace the movie theater experience. It's just that simple. Even even smaller movies like Hereditary in a Quiet Place, word of mouth got out and all of a sudden those movies made made decent money for horror movies. Right. So I'm sure in five years we're going to be having the same discussion about holograms or whatever or threatening. <laughs> VCR. Not VCR. We go no, backwards. Not VCR. Um, no, 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 no. No, virtual reality. VR, not VCR. VR. Oh, okay. That's much virtual different. Reality. Yes. <laughs> right, right. No, no C. I knew I was close. Yeah, virtual reality might be right on the horizon for that. Like they're starting to push that hardcore. So it's, it's not really – a discussion that makes a lot of sense to me, to be completely honest. And these numbers kind of prove that. It's a very interesting one, though, and I'm sure it'll come up again in the future and we'll have the same kind of points to bring up. Yeah, the article makes the point that part of the myth was that people just don't have enough time to do both. Eventually, there's going to be a limit as to how much media the average person can consume. How many shows and movies can you keep up with at one time? Mm. And it doesn't seem like we've hit that limit yet. We'll see if Netflix continues to get bigger and subscription-based media continues to get bigger. 
maybe that part of the conversation will come back into play. But as of now, people are balancing what they have. Right. That's all. That's another completely other thing to talk about. Where like the whole idea of like fatigue and franchise fatigue and superhero fatigue. It's it's kind of phantom. You know what I mean? Like we get tired of some things, but at the same time, they don't completely go away. Like very interesting to see. You're right, Nate. It's very interesting to see how like especially like the introduction of Disney Plus or any kind of advances in technology will affect that in the future. But that's a discussion for another day. Um, a movie that is out on the big screens right now in theaters, that is, was number one at the box office, is the subject of our feature review tonight, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. My name is Peter Parker. I'm pretty sure you know the rest. I saved the city, fell in love, then I saved the city again and again and again. But this isn't about me. Not anymore. I love you, Miles. Yeah, I know, Dad. You gotta say I love you back. Dad, are you serious? That's a copy. Ladies and gentlemen. My name is Miles Morales. I'm the one and only Spider-Man. At least that's what I thought. All right, kid, listen up. This fry is your universe. It's soggy, it's weird, it's gross. And this delicious normal fry is my universe. Hey, guys. Who are you? I'm Gwen Stacy. I'm from another, another dimension. How many more spider people are there? Hey, fellas. Hello. This could literally not get any weirder. It can get weirder. We need to get back to our universes soon. Brooklyn is going to collapse. My family lives in Brooklyn. Remember, what makes you different? Let's go. Is what makes you Spider-Man. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is the latest animated adventure, the first animated adventure to go to theaters to star Spidey. Uh, it is by Sony Pictures Animation, of course, the masterminds that brought you the Emoji Movie. Um, it is executive produced by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who are masterminds on their own right. They are responsible for the Lego Movie, uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, 21 and 22 Jump Street. They are kind of the guys that you go to if you have a weird concept that you need it to work. And they make it work, uh, unless you're Star Wars, in which case they fire you. Um, uh, it's directed by Bob Perschetti, Peter Ramsey, Rodney Rothman, a bunch of different directors. And it's really probably one of the more unique superhero movies you'll ever see. It follows Miles Morales, who, of course, is a 21st century Spidey favorite. He's played by Shameik Moore, who is best known for Dope and The Get Down, and he's a good actor. But Miles Morales is a character we've seen only Peter Parker up to this point. Uh, and Miles Morales brings a little bit of differentiation to the Spider-Man role. He's a Hispanic, Brooklyn-born teen. He's bitten by a spider. He gains power similar to Peter Parker. And those elements of the original origin story that we know about Peter. But from there, Spider-Verse takes a very clever and surprising twist. Basically, Kingpin, the hulking mob boss, played by Liev Schreiber, he sets off an interventional device, warps multiple different universes together. Worlds collide. Miles joined in the dimension, his own dimension by the Spider-Men and women of the parallel realities. Um, there's a slobby version of Peter Parker, played by Jake Johnson. Super-powered version of Gwen Stacy, who is a frequent Peter Parker love interest. She's played by Haley Steinfeld. A black-and-white detective, Spider-Noir, played by Nicolas Cage. Uh, an anime girl with a cybernetic robot, Penny Parker, played by Kamiko Glenn. And an, even a walking, talking cartoon pig, Peter Porker, voiced by a tall child, John Mulaney. Basically, visiting spider folks aren't safe in Miles' dimension. It's up to him to figure out how to save the city. And I don't want to say anything more because a lot of the fun of this movie is from surprises that come from there. So guys, really unique premise. I think this is a movie that all of us have been looking forward to for a while. Does it deliver, though, is the big question. Nate, let's start with you. What did you think of Spider-Man? Alrighty. I was definitely looking forward to this one just because it looked so different. And I'll, I'll tell you, this movie was fresh. <laughs> uh, this movie was great at subverting expectations about bringing something new and taking the well-known features of what we expect out of a Spider-Man movie and kind of treating the audience like you're in on the same joke, but carrying that throughout the entire movie. Like, you never feel lost, even though the movie is throwing so much new and fun information at you. And you already feel connected to a lot of the characters just because you have an idea of what Spider-Man is in your head. So solely on like the meta part of the movie, it rocked. It was really, really fun. 
And then to top it all off with a cool, unique story, really heartfelt characters, and some awesome animation. I love this from start to finish. It was great. Jake, what did you think? <laughs> Nate, you kind of led me on a bit of a wild goose chase there. Based on your tone at first, I was like, uh-oh. Is this going to be a scary podcast? What are we doing here? It would be timed out well from when Last Jedi came out, so. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, oh my goodness. Is it happening again? <laughs> no, yeah, I, I actually, I really liked how you said that, Nate. It kind of put my thoughts into a, a more cohesive state, I think. Because you're right, they do treat you as if you're on the same joke as well. And it's a very new, different, I like that you said fresh, because it absolutely is, take on this new Spider-Man. We get Miles Morales as the lead, and it's totally unique. It's uber creative. Every shot, every scene, every detail is something new, cool, different, creative. And I, I loved all of that. I think the voice acting was on par. I didn't realize who a lot of the voice acting was until the credits. I picked out some of it. Like, I picked out Nick Cage right away. Um, there's a couple others I picked out. I knew John Mulaney, who I'm a big fan of his stand-up, so I was really happy to see him in here. But I didn't know Liev Schreiber. I didn't know Mahershala Ali. There's a few others I didn't know. And, like, Chris Pine is briefly Spider-Man at some point. Um, I like that a lot. Just little things like that, which were great. Yeah, just overall top to bottom. I don't think I'm... I think I'm going to be the down one of the three of us, but I still thought it was great. And I can't wait to see it again, truthfully. It's so creative. It's so fun. Just so unique from top to bottom. The whole style, the art, the animation, everything is just so... There's so many good things about it. Um, I'm going to try to make this not like a slobber fest. Um, because I, like, that's no fun. But this movie, this movie's unbelievable. There's just so much about it that I, like, absolutely adore and admire. Here's the thing, like, everything you guys have said is true. The animation style is out of this world. The way that they're able to incorporate comic tropes like onomatopoeia and word bubbles and the way that they're able to just visualize things, it looks like it's jumping right off. It's like eye candy, honestly. It's unbelievable. It's, it's just, it's a movie packed to the brim with so many creative visuals and the way that they integrate the characters from different universes, they all have their own different style. Ah, uh, I, I can't say enough good things about the visuals, but that's the thing. This is a phenomenally written movie, in my opinion, both in comedy and both in like an emotional core. This movie has such a respect and a reverence for what makes Spider-Man a unique character, and it does it in a way that it makes each character unique and gives them their own journey, but also shows why we love the idea of Spider-Man in the first place. The whole great power comes great responsibility thing has been beaten to death, but it, this movie throws Miles through a journey that makes him earn that. I just love how it's written. I love Miles and I love his interaction with Jefferson, which is his his father played by Brian Tyree Henry, who's had a big year. Uh, his relationship with his uncle, who is voiced by Mahershala Ali, also does a great job. The relationship between Peter like the loss that he's gone through in his life. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that the script for this movie does a great job of being absolutely hilarious. One of the funniest movies I've seen this year, without a doubt. Working in unison with the animation and making the animation parts of the joke as well. This is not a movie you can see just once. Like, you need to go back and watch it over and over to get all the different references and sight gags and everything. It just rewards a viewer, it rewards the fan, but it also rewards people that might not be into superhero movies in general they just want to see a good fun entertaining movie like i don't know who this movie is not made for to be honest who could hate this movie it wouldn't make sense to me if you Armin hated White. this movie like yeah i bet <laughs> yeah because he'd probably find something intellectual about and it stupidly like, intellectual a little oxymoron for those who don't know just side gig uh armin white is as, as his career is a movie critic but he's basically the troll of movie critics yeah he's the reason toy story 3 doesn't have 100 percent He's the reason Get Out doesn't have 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. But he's also the reason that Grown Ups 2 doesn't have like a 1%. He's, yeah. he's ridiculous. He's absolutely ridiculous. Right. So normal people, I don't see how anybody could dislike this movie. Like just everything that it accomplishes, it's just an extremely satisfying experience. Yeah, it's just a, a ton of fun. And I'm glad you brought up that this is not a movie you can see just once. Because I think this will be a very rewarding movie on second and third viewings, at least for me personally. There's just so much to digest. And it's so much fun top to bottom. But there really is, on screen, there's always so much happening. But it's never messy. It's very precise and specific. Very well done. The balance is 
amazing because this very well could have been an overstuffed movie, right. but it just it isn't. It finds a way to sidestep that, yeah, and that's really impressive. There's literally like at least five to six Spider Men and women in this movie. And I feel like they all get their dupes. And that has to do a lot with the voice acting as well. Mm-hmm. It also knows which ones to focus on. Right. So, yes, you have your, what is it, six, seven maybe, uh, Spider-Men. But the important relationships are the ones that Miles Morales has with Gwen, Peter B. Parker, and his father. And all the other relationships feel secondary to that. And that keeps the balance, but you're still getting the full meal. And you're still getting the character development where you need to. And I really, really liked what they did with Peter B. Parker's character. And we'll get more into what his arc is in spoilers. But him as the really experienced Spider-Man who just kept on getting a string of bad luck in his universe coming to this one. And being an amazing Spider-Man, but a horrible Peter Parker was really, really cool. I really liked um, him as an isolated character and then putting him in the mix with all of this just, again, helps subvert expectations. We're getting something that we've never seen out of a Spider-Man movie, let alone a superhero movie. And it made for uh, an incredibly rewarding experience by the time we got to finale. Right. And the build-up to it was just so much fun because I honestly did not know where the story was going for the first 45 minutes of the movie. And that was exciting. Mm -hmm. This movie really did a lot of very cool things that just kind of spun the entire story around, and I loved it. Yeah. I just love, like, for a genre that has been so lamented for being like, oh, the death of the superhero movie, it's coming, like, they're all the same. There's no movie ever made like this movie. Like, there there might be some threads, but this movie does such a good job at being constantly surprising and constantly – like you said, Nate, subverting what you expect from a superhero movie while still satisfying the needs of an arc and the needs of basic storytelling. But it just finds creative ways to make you smile and to make you even tear up. It's just so well in touch with what it needed to be in touch with, which is the superhero legacy that came before it and what makes people love superheroes in the first place. If you're a superhero fan, you often look at these movies and think, I'd love to be X, I'd love to be Y. How cool would it to be to be this superhero or that superhero, have these powers, dress up as this guy? This movie, and as relatable as Spider-Man is, and as cool and fun and witty, as popular as Spider-Man is, this movie, really by the end, I was like, man, I kind of want to be this guy. Like, I want to be Spider-Man. I want to have, I want to have the arc that he has, like he, the arc that he goes through. What an awesome character. I like. I think Thor's awesome. I think Iron Man's awesome. Captain America's awesome. But this Spider-Man in particular, I was like, I kind of want to be like this guy. Like, this is a really fun, cool, intelligent, down-to-earth, like, just whole, whole package but not cocky kind of Spider-Man. I really, really dug the entire portrayal. If you can get that from animation, writing, and voiceover, bravo. Because I, I was really all about this character, especially by the end. I was right. loving him. I just think, like, especially going into this year, not to make this, like, too political, progressive 21st century, but, like, imagine being a kid and growing up with this movie and growing up with Black Panther and seeing representation throughout the superhero genre, and then next Mm. year you'll have Captain Marvel. Like, we're taking steps in such the right direction, and this movie doesn't pander. It makes it such an integral part of the story, but at the same time it doesn't, like— Miles is just a normal kid. He just lives in this reality where he comes home and his parents speak Spanish and he would rather go to the less preppy school. He'd rather hang out with his friends on the streets. And his big, like, father figure besides his father is not the best person in the world. That kind of real writing is just so important. And it's so different than Peter Parker, but yet they have the same core values too as well. So guys, I think this one might be a little bit predictable, but let's get into our rating segment here. Uh, If you are joining us for the first time, we grade things on the seat scale. If we think a movie is so close to having no flaws or has no flaws whatsoever, we give it a royal throne. If we think a movie is great but has minor flaws, we give it a plush recliner. If we think a movie is really good but has some glaring things wrong with it, we give it a wooden seat. If we think it's the inverse of that where the movie's not very good but it has some pretty good things in it, we give it a damp lawn chair. And it's a movie that we think really doesn't do anything good at all. We give it a sleazy outhouse. And if we think it's a movie that you need to see in theaters, 
we give it a bag of popcorn moniker, whether that be for like an audience or for just visual experience or whatever. Um, so Jake, what do you think? What would you give Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse? Easily bag of popcorn moniker. Um, this should be seen in theaters. Even if, you know, I know movie ticket prices are expensive. I roll my eyes all the time when I hear the ticket prices. Like, oh, one for the Spider-Verse is fourteen seventy-five, And I'm like, really? Why? Come on, help me out here. <laughs> Only 14 Careful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess in the city, it's probably like 18 or something like that. But absolutely see this in theaters. It's a great movie. Tremendous visuals. And honestly, I'm I'm still very torn on my rating. Still. I was kind of hoping you'd ask Nate first because I'm very torn. So here's here's my thought process for you two and those listening. Once it gets to a certain good or bad level, I go by if it moves me. So like Jurassic World made me feel angry. So it went lower. Mission, uh, Mission Impossible Fallout made me feel unbelievably excited and energetic and want to jump from rooftops. It gets up. This one slightly lacked in those big time feelings, but I have almost no flaws with it. And I think upon rewatches, it will probably venture into the Royal Throne territory, but I think for now upon the one viewing, I'm going to go very high end uh, plush recliner. Interesting. I'm very torn about this. Hmm, I can see that. I think things might change if we keep talking, but let's see. That's kind of why I was I was hoping you'd not pick me first. Nate, go ahead. What would you give it? I am in the camp where the flaws I can find are so minimal and have so little to do with my experience watching the movie that this is a pretty by-the-numbers royal throne for me. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I loved how fresh it was. I loved how new it felt. I loved the characters we got, and not to go off on too much of a tangent, but this is a movie that I really want Sony to hone in on, perfect the style, let's see more of these characters again, because what we got was just so entertaining, and there is a lot of room for growth here for future movies. But staying, staying back on topic with this movie in particular, I loved Miles Morales' story, I loved Peter B. Parker's story. I loved the plot as a whole, what they did with the villains, the good guys, the supporting characters. There is just a lot to enjoy. Easy bag of popcorn. This is definitely one that one that I'd bring a lot of friends to, to just geek out afterward. Because there's so many references that even just talking to a handful of people and with you guys, I'm sure we're going to find a lot of references that we didn't catch on our first viewing. Yeah. Because this is one of the most comic booky movies ever made, both by visual style, by how wacky it goes, and how fun of a ride it is. Royal Throne. Right. I hope that phrase doesn't alienate people, because when we say that, this movie just has, like, it has it all. It's meant for everyone. So, like, we go in and you try to avoid the hype, and people were absolutely loving this movie before we got a chance to see it. It was getting, like, incredible reviews. And it's just so, it's refreshing and nice to go into something and still be blown away. Like, I'm not going to try to be too hyperbolic here. Uh, It's going to sound like I am being. But, like, it's hard for me to think that this movie isn't in, like, the top 20 animated movies ever made. It's hard for me to think that this is not in the top 10 or even top 5 superhero movies ever made. It might be an all-time favorite for me. Just in how much it accomplishes. Like, it hits all the quadrants. For me... Jake, I did find it emotional, and there were some really touching parts where I did actually get pretty choked up. It's so funny. It's one of the funniest movies I've seen in a long, long time, both visually and in the writing. Obviously, it's gorgeous. It moves quickly. There's not a single thing I would change about the story. It gives depth and motivation to pretty much all of its major characters. There was like 30 to 40 times I felt like, wow, like I can't believe what I'm looking at here. This is definitely near the top of the year for me, if it's not my favorite movie of the year. Well, I'll give it a couple weeks and I'll think about it, but it is absolutely a royal throne, without a doubt. You need to see this in a, on a big screen, and you need to see it with an audience, I think. It it's, should be mandatory viewing. Yeah, I, I think I'm, because now that we haven't even touched on spoilers yet, I think I'm, I think I gotta change my rating, because I feel like upon second and third <laughs> viewings, I'm only gonna Did like we get it em? more. We got him! <laughs> we I'm, got him. I, I can tell I'm going to enjoy this movie more in a second and third viewing. And I feel obnoxious not giving in. I feel like I'm being too stubborn not giving in just because it might have lacked a hair of something here and there. So, yeah, I'll change right. it. We'll throw it. A- and there it is. Is yeah. that the first time we've given all Royal Thrones? Yeah, this is the first time in a review. 
This is a this is our golden throne. Our golden throne. Yeah, and I and I think it's worthy too. It's, so, it's certainly well deserved. Let's talk about why this movie works so well in more detail. We're gonna go into spoilers. I really, really, I know I say this every week, but I really recommend if you have not seen this movie that you do not follow us any further because there's just so many surprises and so many fun things that will be spoiled from you in the next couple of minutes. If you have seen Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, good, first of all, and then join us in our spoiler section. Whoa, oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert! So guys, this movie has a lot of fun with the fact that it knows, everybody that's watching this movie knows the Peter Parker origin. Of course, he gets bit by the spider, then Uncle Ben gets gunned down, and of course, blah, 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 great power, great responsibility. The movie does a great job at taking that origin and shifting it for different characters, and making the core story the same, the core like tragedy kind of for the Peter or whoever character. But at the same time, it does a really good job at making it different. And I think Peter B. Parker is a really good example of that because Jake Johnson, who voices Peter B. Parker, he's very much not what you expect Peter Parker to be. And that's because of things that the movie shows us happened to him in the time between when he was Spider-Man and how life went on. Yeah, it works really well because of the contrast we get from the very beginning of the movie where we're introduced to the original Spider-Man from Miles Morales' universe where he is the golden boy, quite literally, with blonde hair and who we kind of expect Spider-Man to be on top of the world. He's got the girl, he's got the fans, he's got the witty banter, he's got it all made. And then we're introduced to Peter... B. Parker, where, yeah, he's a great Spider-Man, but his Peter Parker life has gone nowhere, and his relationship with Mary Jane has fell through the cracks. He's overweight. He's not confident. And then to have him get dragged into the story with Miles Morales, where he has to teach a kid, was just a great subversion of expectations and made for a really compelling story when him trying to save the universe was also him trying to fix his life and get his career back in order. I really liked what they did Beautiful story parallel. And it's a grown-up way of looking at Spider-Man for the older people like us in the audience. Right. This might be a kid's animated movie, but that storyline is made for people that grew up on Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Yeah, this movie does a really good job at leaning into that idea. Like, And this is a phrase they use a lot, and it works for a lot of different characters, especially Miles and Peter B. Parker, where it talks about taking a leap of faith and trusting yourself and regaining the knowledge of what makes you a hero. And for Miles, it's all about learning what he needs to do. I love how this movie makes him suck at being Spider-Man for, like, the entire thing. He's so bad at, like, everything he has to do because he's learning his powers in a very stressful and chaotic situation and then eventually we see him mature and grow up and we see him turn into the spider-man that we've known in other movies and we see that with peter b parker where he reclaims that kind of respect for himself and his ability to be the hero that we all know that he's able to be you know it's pretty amazing normally in movies like this a big defining moment for the character to become who he needs to become usually only get one You get two for both characters in this movie, and they happen pretty back-to-back. Miles Morales, you know, the death of his uncle forces him to become who he needs to be. And then overall, Peter B. Parker helping teach Miles how to become Spider-Man, and then learning himself, going back to his universe, becoming better. Like, it all happens within a pretty short span toward the end of the second act and the third act. So not only do you get both, and you you can relate to both, that's pretty amazing for a script to do. Without being convoluted, like like we said earlier, they balance both plot points and characters extremely well, among other things. Right, and they use the supporting characters in supporting ways to support those themes. Uh, how many times are I going to say support? But that's really what, yeah, like, what it is, though. Even like Peter Porker brings up, they've all gone through tragedy. Yeah, I really like the line that Gwen says when they're back in Miles' dorm room where he's trying to deal with the tragedy of losing his uncle. And she says, we're probably the only people who do understand what you're going through because they are all unified by the Spider-Man identity that they get it. Great line. And great, great line, great moment, and great character arc. 
for not just Miles Morales, but for all the Spider-Men. Yeah, and women. <laughs> and women. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's hard to shake, I know. Um, I think it's important to bring up the relationship between Jefferson Davis and Miles and just how, like, different that is and how their relationship is very much paralleled with, like, Gwen Stacy and Captain Stacy or something like that, like, where he is anti-Spider-Man because he puts his life on the line in a way that is inside the realms of the law. Doesn't hide his identity. Yeah, Peter his entire life has had to live with, or not Peter, excuse me, Miles his entire life has had to deal with Jefferson Davis telling him over and over again that Spider-Man is a menace. So now he is that menace. So how does he balance the responsibility of being Spider-Man with the expectations of his father? It's just like, this is just really deep stuff for an animated movie. And it executes it like flawlessly. Exactly. They navigate it really well for adults and kids. Like, I feel like kids can still get, at least partly, you know, maybe not to the same extent, but at least partly get the adult messages that they're throwing out there because it just, it makes sense to them still. Absolutely. Yeah. And actually, as far as the Gwen Stacy stuff goes, I loved Miles and Gwen's final scene before she goes back to her universe. They're just, their chemistry and dialogue was, was really, really great. Throughout the movie, especially when they first meet too, there's a great scene where Miles, like, has no idea why he's sticking, and he literally pulls out her hair. Like, yeah. that's such a great comedic <laughs> moment, like small things like that. And actually, they set it up really well with the shoulder touch. Yeah, They right. set it oh up so God. well. Yeah. That's a good pivot into just the humor this movie had. Um, the growing up humor that this movie had is on par with The Incredibles 2 that we reviewed earlier this year. Right. Um, and the jokes land because they are so real. <laughs> they, they just blame everything on puberty. It's so good, like with the, especially with the slapstick of it all. This movie is just so intelligent across the board. Like there are those moments that you laugh at, Nate, where you talk about that. And then there's just like, ugh, Nicolas Cage almost steals this movie for me. Oh, He's so good as spider I love when he's good every so often. When he just comes right. out with something every so often that's good, I'm like, oh, there you are. <laughs> the best part is that we got a little preview of this back in Kick-Ass. Yeah. Where he played Batman. Like, he's kind of born for this, like, so serious it's funny take right. on a classic superhero. <laughs> in an alternate reality, he was going to be Superman. Like, yeah. I don't know about a lead, but in a supporting role, like he was for Kick-Ass and for this movie, right. he slays it. Mm-hmm. He is yeah. so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I obviously thought of you because he was baffled by the Rubik's Cube. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up, but yeah, that did send me a little bit over the edge. <laughs> so funny. He has my favorite line in the entire movie where he talks about how, like, have you ever let the match burn all the way down to your fingertips just to feel something? Like, just his delivery is yeah, so oh my God. good. Oh, John Mulaney's awesome, too. Uh, John Mulaney's yeah. character is related to probably my second favorite joke of the movie where he's being pulled back to his own universe, and he goes, that's all, folks. And Peter P. Parker goes... Can he can he legally say that? Like, are we allowed to oh, say yeah. that? <laughs> I I don't think I found it quite as funny as as you guys are saying, but that made me laugh out loud. I was like, that yeah. is so Deadpool in a PG movie, and that's so funny. Right. Mm-hmm. Minor minor nitpicks here, but I kind of wanted a little bit more banter from the three out there Spider Man, the the anime one, the Nor one, and the cartoon one. Right. We definitely got some good jokes out of them, but. Once we get to that third act, we kind of got to hurry the movie along a little bit. It's starting to yeah. see the finish line. And we definitely flash forward through the rest of Miles' training, uh, training in quotes, um, and then the big finale. I wish we got just a little bit more, like one more scene or one more set piece where we could see all these characters interacting, kind of like Avengers style. And I know what you mean. I Yeah, I don't know if I necessarily agree because I felt like – the movie moves so quickly and it's so well paced already that I would be afraid that might be a little bit of overkill. But like the scene yeah. in Aunt May's house where they just rip it apart is really cool. Like there's that. And then the finale action is awesome as yeah, well. I remember thinking I want another because when they were headed to the final set piece, I was like, oh, I was kind of hoping for another one. But then when they fight together and then they all get sent off together into their universes, I was like, you know what? That's that's fine. I'm all right with that. Yeah, it works. I'm just in the mood for an extended cut already. Right. <laughs> I wanted more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think the movie does a really good job with the villains, too. I mean, like, it doesn't... It, this is definitely more about the heroes. Yeah, actually. We didn't even talk about the villains. Like, everything we know about Kingpin from, of course, like, the Vincent D'Onofrio's version and stuff, it completely informs his decision. Because you're thinking, like, why would he almost destroy the universe just for this? But then it's like, oh, it's all about Vanessa again. 
Like, right, okay. Which we, we as Marvel Netflix people get. Exactly. You know what's funny? At first, I didn't really like his design. I thought it was over the top. And then as he went on, it kind of grew on me. I was like, <laughs> he's, he's the blob mixed with Tony Soprano. It's great. He is an absolute unit. It was funny because when we were watching the movie, the person I was with, there's one part where he gets to the research facility, the car pulls up, and he gets out, and he was like, he doesn't fit in that car. Are you kidding right. me? No way. Like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, he is a literal rectangle. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> I think when he's in action in that final scene, and even the introduction scene where he kills the original Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah, like, I was like, whoa. That was pretty cool looking. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you do that with boxes, but it, it worked. Whatever no. they did with that animation style made all the movements so dynamic right. to the point where you literally have a rectangle character seem incredible. And then when we have the action scenes with all the crazy spider people doing crazy flips and stuff, it was just really cool. Like the final scene with all the skyscrapers flying through space yeah. in the, the warp field or whatever was stunning. Right. No other word for it. And I love how they, they change up your expectations of each of these villains. Like, I love the idea of having a female Doc Ock. Like, that was a really cool switch right. up that I did not see coming. I don't think anybody could have saw that right. coming. This movie's version of the Goblin, where he's, like, grotesque and huge. Like, Shit that was monster. crazy. Uh, the Prowler, I forgot the Prowler is Aaron Davis, because, I mean, that's a, that's a comic thing. But, like, that was a legitimately good reveal when it happened. I thought they executed yeah. it really well. The superhero extravaganza part of it, they absolutely nail. And then they nail the other side, too, which we've been hammering in over and over. I think we should start wrapping up here, because we could go on for this movie forever. Um, yeah, we could. We've each only seen it once, and we could still go on. <laughs> right. We really, we really could. Maybe we'll circle back around to it at some point. There's just so much to talk about, and we all clearly love this movie so much. Um, who wants to start with final thoughts? Let's give it to Nate. All righty. Go see the movie. It's just such a fun, hodgepodge is the wrong word, compilation, I guess, Yeah. of everything Spider-Man that you could have wanted from one of these movies. I never thought I'd be saying this about another Sony Spider-Man movie, especially after Venom. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> Here we are. This is something that not only am I excited for having seen the movie, but I'm excited where the future of these movies go. And I'm usually not one for franchise building so soon to the release of the movie, but I already want to see more. This was such a cool take on Spider-Man. I really love what they did with these new characters. I really want to see where Miles goes from here, becoming a competent Spider-Man. I hope we get to see some of the alternate reality Spider-Man come back. I can't believe that we didn't talk about the teaser to Spider-Man 2099 uh, at I know. the end. Because oh. one of us didn't stick around and watch it. I Just at me next time. I know. It's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. boy. If it, it wasn't already obvious, it is still a Marvel movie. Go see the entirety of the credits to get the last post-credit scene because it's worth it. It's one of the funniest things I've seen all year. It's maybe my one of my favorite post-credit scenes ever. Damn it. Yeah, you, you have to see the movie again. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I'll have to drag somebody. All right. Distractions aside, love this movie. Gonna go see it again. Everyone else should too. Jake? My final thoughts, I am a Miles Morales fan. You can add him to the superhero rosters that I'm officially a fan of. Great character, great movie, great story, great animation. I mean, top to bottom, great. There's very there's very few to nitpick about this movie. And I would say even if you're not active movie buffs, movie researchers, movie whatever have you, even if you're not like that, where you're not picking apart why the script is intelligent, why this movie means so much in certain scenes, you're still going to have fun. Even if you don't see everything in the same light that we might be talking about, you're going to have fun. This movie is, it's creative, it's fun, beautifully animated, uniquely animated. It's funny. It's just a good time for literally all ages. Like a little kid could go see this and enjoy Spider-Man and then us as adults can go see this and still enjoy Spider-Man. It's just a great movie top to bottom. I, I know they didn't know this was going to happen, but the way this movie is able to use Stan Lee is, ugh. Oh, yeah, beautiful. I was so happy. Even if he was still alive, that would still be probably one of his best cameos ever. Mm -hmm. uh, and now that he's dead, the poignancy of him officially passing on the costume literally to Miles. And, of course, the big tribute to him. The people that created Spider-Man are all over this movie, as they should be, because this is their creation brought to life in a gorgeous unprecedented way 
This is such a phenomenal, wonderful, wonderful movie. If you have not seen it already, you should not be listening to this. But if you have, support it because then we'll see more movies like this. And again, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, they can do whatever they want at this point. Their yeah, fingerprints seriously. are all over this. Once again, please go see this movie if you have not Yeah, seriously, already. support it. This is the kind of new, even though it's not original character, it's the kind of new creative movie that everybody wants and then not everybody sees. So absolutely, right. go support And it's just crazy that Sony, for back-to-back years, has had the best animated movies of the year, like with this and the Emoji movie. But anyway, time for our final <laughs> thoughts. I was like, wait, well, what? Uh, that, that'll oh. do it for our review of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. We're going to kind of start to swing away from this episode of The Middle Seats. Before we do that, Nate, where can they find us on the internet? All righty. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on both SoundCloud and iTunes. For any questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye out on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. Uh, next episode, we're probably going to be talking about Aquaman and Mary Poppins Returns. Might be one, might be both. Andrew, we'll g- see. give us an Aquaman wahoo. Uh, you mean a yeah. yeah that's what that's. Yeah. 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 Or, or, or when he jumps out of the plane. Wahoo. <laughs> oh, God. That should be fun because we'll definitely have some very strong opinions on that one way or the other, I feel like. But anyway, keep an eye out for that. Please check our past episodes if you missed them. We've done some really good reviews recently. We Nate's working hard to get all these episodes out to you. You better be listening. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we love you, Nate. Anyway, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Middle Seats Podcast. For Nate Lungarini and Jake Hensler, I'm Andrew Oje. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon. <laughs>